Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers. I am Andy Zaltzman. Am I anymore? Can I have another vote on it? Or am I lumbered with what my parents decided to do with my name 44 years ago? <laughs> that's, yeah, and I'm, I'm happy with that. Anyway, but the point is, this is uh, issue 4,103 of The Bugle, the audio newspaper for a visual world that remains the one fully reliable source of independently biased, unashamedly fact-free truth in these turbulent times. It is Brex Day! Happy Brex Day, everyone! <laughs> the 29th of March... 2019, no sleeps till break. Oh, oh, hang on, uh, I am just being informed. It is no longer, it is no longer break day. <laughs> this was supposed to have been the day in which Britain blasted itself off into a glorious new future, our Leica, the Soviet space dog moment of national liberation. Instead, it has been a day when our democracy has been upheld, traduced, twisted, reluctantly forced to do its job, betrayed, liberated, held hostage and or dressed up in a gimp mask and made to cluck like a chicken. <laughs> Delete, according to preference, and or newspaper of choice. Anyway, um, two weeks ago, it was two weeks to go until Brexit. Uh, now it is two weeks to go until Brexit again. Or is it seven and a half weeks to go? No, it's two weeks. Oh, it's seven and a half. No, it's two weeks. Oh, it's a year. It's eight minutes. To, it's 40,000 years. It is now X weeks till, till Brexit. <laughs> More on this later. Joining me today to discuss <laughs> the latest excitements here in London, Tiffany Stevenson. Hello. Hi. Hello, Tiff. I'm laughing because what's the option? I'd be crying otherwise, right? Yeah, the two aren't mutually incompatible. No. You have a go at both. No, I was really enjoying the idea of having a slice of Brexit Day cake. Yeah. And singing Happy Brexit Day to you. We're not going to get to we're, do we're it. We're not going to get that. And we'll, we'll come later on to uh, some of the things that have been said about what was supposed to be happening today by the big fans of Brexit that uh, aren't happening. Um, also uh, joining me today, Sense and Reason. Uh, welcome <laughs> welcome to, to the... Oh, they've left. And uh, also joining us today later on for an exclusive interview in the Bugle Soundproof Safe, uh, former Prime Minister David Cameron. It'll be very interesting to hear what he doesn't have to say on the matter. As always, uh, some sections of the Bugle are going straight in the bin. This week, uh, city improvements section. We're looking at some of the exciting new city improvement projects around the world. Recently, London was rocked to its core by the failure of the Garden Bridge project to get off the ground when uh, London slightly understandably decided that there were two things that it did not need more of. One was gardens and two was bridges, and emphatically three was a garden and a bridge in the same place. But other schemes have been announced to soup up various urban landscapes, including for London, this is very exciting, Volcano for London. What? That is going to focus minds, isn't it? There's oh. going to be a 3,000 metre high volcano. It was uh, promised in Brexit, if you read it backwards, <laughs> whilst absolutely hammered. Get, get my hands on some of that sweet magma. Yeah, and at least it's achievable. Yes. I mean, it's as, it's as achievable as the undefined Brexit that people were promised. Uh, also, a glacier for Los Angeles. That could, because they've got a lot of, sort of empty waterways and, and fires. That's got to help. Yeah, that help. Uh, tropical rainforest for Oslo and a desert for Dubai. Uh, but importantly, a fake one, uh, because <laughs> it'll just fit in better with everything else there. Also in the bin this week, documentaries on the global problems of fictional beings. Uh, caused by uh, global warming predominantly. It's, I mean, there's a lot of talk about how these things are going to affect people and real creatures. But we don't hear very much about the devastating effect of global warming on some of the uh, fictional characters that have been popular around the world. And there's some uh, interesting documentaries that have come out recently, including A Pokey Lapse Now. Could global warming kill off the Pokemon? Latest science suggests that up to 550 Pokemons 
could die <laughs> if temperatures rise above two degrees centigrade above their pre-industrial levels. That's why you've got to catch them all. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Before it happens. Well, then, they, then you can treat them safely and get them to breed in captivity. <laughs> um, gnome... Oh, no. <laughs> gnome oh, mass. No. <laughs> <laughs> An infestation of garden gnomes in Mexico uh, brought about by climate change could lead to the disastrous side effect of gnomes being reduced to unsanctioned boxing bouts um, <laughs> in which, uh, like... The great boxer Roberto Duran, they may be forced to say, no mass. Um, and that's a bit of a stretch, but, you know, such I'm a product of my times. I just don't know what to do with my elf. Um, <laughs> elves very poor in, uh, <laughs> in, in hot weather. And uh, uh, finally, uh, fairy crossed with Morsi. Um, that's a fan for fans of 1960s uh, Liverpudlian uh, songs. <laughs> Fairy Crossed with Morsi is um, about a secret project to uh, save the world by crossbreeding a fairy with the um, former Egyptian president, Mohamed Morsi. Uh, those sections in the bin. Uh, we are recording on, as I said, the 29th of, of March, and there's been a lot of upset, Tiff, that Brexit has been cancelled, because this would have been the absolute perfect day. <laughs> For yeah. Brexit to happen, as I've touched the sun on this, shining. Well, it's it's more the historical importance of this date in human and British history, uh, and and this specific one I've touched on before: the anniversary of the Battle of Towton in 1461, <laughs> in the Wars of the Roses, the single most violent day of fighting in the history of the British Isles, 28,000 people killed in a single day of hand-to-hand -hand combat, and what a what a great anniversary for. Brexit to happen, a day in which this country tore itself apart in a childish political dispute. Yeah, and we're not limited to Yorkshire and Lancashire no. this time. No, exactly. So uh, we can um, we can spread it around. <laughs> spread the hate also into on this, the home counties. <laughs> on this day in 845, Paris was uh, sacked by Viking raiders and their leader, Ragnar Lodbrok, apparently collected a huge ransom in exchange for leaving. If that is not a preemptive Brexit metaphor from history, I don't know what is. Um, in 1632, the Treaty of Saint-Germain was signed, in which the city of Quebec, in uh, well, modern-day Canada, was uh, returned to French control after the English had seized it in 1629. So yet another thing we had control of for three years and f***ed up completely and lost control of it. Brexit through history, just over and over again. What a day this would have been. <laughs> Top story this week. Well, I mean, this is the top story. It feels like I've I've already covered a lot of it before we've even got to the beginning of the... And again, that seems appropriate. Um, <laughs> this has been a week in which British politics desperately has tried to shove David Cameron's unwanted baby back into our political <laughs> womb. Parliament has locked itself in a cupboard and swallowed the key, which doesn't mean there's no way out. It just means that the way out is... <laughs> Very unappealing and potentially very, very messy indeed. <laughs> All kinds of things. We have. They have another vote today and the government has been defeated for a uh, third time. That third and final banana I talked about, <laughs> Theresa May throwing at the burning petrol station, has proved ineffective. And it's reached the stage, Tiff, where news is... It, it, it's a kind of bizarre situation where things are happening incredibly quickly and at the same time absolutely nothing is happening at all. Yes. But uh, I've been doing Satirist for Hire this week at Soho Theatre and I was on stage while the indicative votes were happening on uh, on Wednesday. So, you know, I was sort of having to keep track of 
of, of what was happening. Things are changing so far. Incidentally, two more uh, Brexit special satirists for our shows on the uh, 10th and 11th of April. Yet there are some benefits from Brexit being delayed. Uh, tickets available on the internet. It's reached news changes so fast that now sometimes my swear words are out of date by the time they've gone from my mouth to my television screen. <laughs> and I find myself jumping out of my sofa saying, Oh, shit, I've called the wrong cunt a cunt. Is it worth pointing out at this point that your kids are next door doing the recording? <laughs> it's all about context. It's entirely justified. It's also nothing they have not heard before. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> in context. In context, yeah. In context. Uh, Theresa May's wandering around at a party that everyone's left, you know. Everyone apart from the host and their mate who are clearing up round her while she wildly swigs punch and still desperately tries to get her f*** on. <laughs> Hi, kids. <laughs> Family show. Family content. Um... I mean, it's sort of like, I, I thought when I came back, because I've been away at the beginning of the year, I thought when I come back, it'll all be sorted or we'll have reached peak Lord of the Flies, you know, where the conch has been smashed and the maggots are coming out the pig's head. <laughs> <laughs> and don't anyone mention Cameron because he'll get very excited by the whole idea of it. The maggots coming out of the pig's head, I think might have been a headline in the Daily Mail, actually, about, <laughs> about the uh, parliament trying to do its job. And so it's this, this is the cliff edge Brexit, which uh, yes. Donald Tusk mentioned, the the cliff edge Brexit, which I like to call the Thelma and Louise Brexit, yes. right? So I thought we, we could maybe play out all the different potential, much like in um, Wayne's World, they yeah. have the Thelma and Louise ending, they have four or five different endings, so I thought we could sort of play those out, but you oh. need to do the yeah. before we do it. That could be the perfect compromise, actually, just a sort of national time machine and just play out <laughs> five different versions of Brexit and just keep yeah. coming back. Yeah. Everyone's a winner. Well, in Wayne's World, they had, um, there was the Scooby-Doo uh, ending, which is where we pull the mask off Theresa May, discover she was a ghost the whole time, a ghost who was haunting herself. <laughs> she has got that look in her face. <laughs> yeah. I, I, mean, I, I was thinking a similar, along similar lines that I think she might have a voodoo doll of herself. Oh, wow, yeah that she's forgotten about and has just left in accidentally in a knife drawer in Downing Street and whatever and puts like, knives back in the knife. Anyway. It's... Yeah, it's yeah, and it's wearing that uh, strong and stable bike chain necklace <laughs> that she's so excitedly... Oh, there's the sad ending. That's where uh, no-one gets a trade deal and your ex-girlfriend turns up pregnant. <laughs> that's, that's what happened in Wayne's World. Stacey turned up and said... I'm pregnant, that's why I've been such a bitch. Uh, so that would be David Cameron's unwanted child that you were talking about. Uh, or there is also the ridiculously happy ending, which is after millions of people march and sign petitions, we withdraw Article 50 and we can all get on with our lives and figure out how to prevent catastrophic climate change. There's the ridiculously happy ending. Yes, but I mean, that's, I, mean I guess that's the, the, the good thing with going through with Brexit is we can choose the exact pace of Armageddon that suits Britain best. <laughs> Yeah. Take back control of the end of the world. <laughs> yeah, to, to our schedule, our timeline. Well, that's that was what Tusk said. Tusk said eight, the 12th of April is the new 29th of March. Right. So, <laughs> so ridiculous. Like, it's farcical. Like, you could, like it sounds like I'm making it up, but that's actually what he said. 12th of April is, April is the new 29th of March. That's good to know because that's handy for my tax return. Like, if time has no actual meaning anymore... <laughs> We're just. I'm just going to say January 14th, 2025 is the new September 29th, 2019, which is my birthday this year. Um, so that means I'm just not going to age for five years. 
Brexit is using the, the Caprice model for time, which is stay 27 forever. <laughs> I think actually Britain as a nation has aged about 400 years in the last <laughs> three years. Uh, so with today's vote, this was the, the third effort to get Theresa May's uh, deal through. Um, they made it a non-meaningful vote in an effort to hope people think, oh, it's just a bit of fun. Uh, that didn't work. Still <laughs> lost by... shits and giggles. <laughs> like, a, like a snog marry avoid in the pub or snog marry kill, whatever. Yes. Uh, David Davis, former Brexit secretary, before he uh, stood down to spend more time with his uh, overwhelming sense of incompetence, um, <laughs> said... Uh, said the Prime Minister's deal had a decent chance of getting through, this was before the vote, uh, and the alternative was, quote, a complete cascade of chaos. I mean, that's the alternative, is a complete cascade of chaos versus the complete cascade of chaos (laughs) that has already happened and is currently happening. Well, we should remember this is the same David Davis who said uh, that the deal was effectively done, it was 90% there, and I'm like, my contraceptive pill is 90% there. That doesn't mean I'm not going to get f***ed. <laughs> so I don't think we can trust anything David David says. I mean, and like, also, isn't this not the worst job in politics now to have been the uh, Brexit secretary at some point? Yes, although I guess it's one of those jobs where, in a way you can be fairly confident that whoever succeeds you is going to be even worse, given that it gets more and more impossible the more you f*** it up. Yeah, it must be up there with being Piers Morgan's proctologist. (laughs) That's a lovely image, Tiff. Um, Yeah. But but interestingly, people were swinging behind Theresa May's deal, including the likes of Boris Johnson and Jacob Rees-Mogg, who basically said it was the end of humanity as we know it, this deal, but it was less the end of humanity... The no deal happening. And this seems to be the... Alter- that No one is suggesting that Brexit is just cancelled. People are suggesting maybe have a second vote and that may then lead to... But no one is suggesting it's, it, you know, nothing or the deal. But this seems to be the way it's presented a lot of the time. And it lost by less than the previous votes on the same... Essentially the same... And I guess it's that situation, isn't it, where the closer you get to the ground, the more tempting that parachute made of lettuce becomes. It- <laughs> Why not? Why not just, Deploy just give it. it a go? So it's a state of not kind of agreement with it, but sort of panic quiescence. <laughs> That's a great word. Thank you. That should go in the Urban Dictionary. <laughs> panic quiescence. Well, Theresa May said in her speech today before the the vote that voting for the deal avoided a cliff edge. It does raise the question why it was that she set our national satnav to find largest possible cliff. That is uh, a question that remains unanswered. Um, my favourite words of the day came from uh, Scottish National Party Member of Parliament, oh, yes. Deirdre Brock, who said, this pile of manure we're being offered is the appetiser of the slurry to come. <laughs> I think that is... But then I guess from manure and slurry, great crops may grow. Yeah, shit makes the flowers grow. <laughs> As they say, as the old expression says. Aristotle. I mean, that, wasn't it? How long is this now? Because I feel like Theresa May did a speech and she said, three years ago, the British public wrote it. I once flirted with a guy in my office for two years before finding out he was gay. And that was less of a waste of time <laughs> than this entire process has been. Like, imagine all the things we could have got done. Especially then someone like Dominic Rabb, who's come back today and said he backs the deal. The same deal that he was like, no, I'm quitting being the secretary because I can't in all good consciousness back this deal that I've spent two years negotiating (laughs) and been in the room for the entire time. So now I think the only reason any of those Conservative MPs are going to decide to back the deal is because Theresa has agreed to step down once the deal is done. 
Yes. So it, it's now like uh, political manoeuvring for many of those putting themselves in the position of becoming the new PM. Well, I'm just going to pick you up on one thing there. Uh, you say the government has got nothing done because of this, this Brexit. Actually, there was a report out this week that um, showed that in-work poverty is now affecting 2.9 million children in Britain. So even in the midst of Brexit, the government has still found time to achieve one of its core policy goals. Um <laughs> So depressing. <laughs> it's so, that's so Sorry. grim. Um, just some breaking news, actually, uh, just coming through. Uh, well, you say Theresa May's offered to resign. That clearly wasn't enough to get the deal over the line. She's now offered to be defenestrated um, <laughs> uh, next Wednesday to be hurled out of a window into a pile of manure in the old 17th century style. <laughs> um, see if that will help. Uh, also, the government has just announced a leap year, uh, by which they mean not just an added day within a year, but an entire added year that will take place between uh, tomorrow and the 30th of March 2019, <laughs> as it will become. The Donald Tusk time, in a year's time. time machine. Uh, some resignations. Uh, Theresa May's frown has just resigned, uh, <laughs> citing excessively long hours and the pressures of media scrutiny. The concept of objectivity has quit, saying it's realised it has no place in the democratic process anymore. And a preemptive res- resignation uh, from the Conservative MP Strilius Butt-Clark, uh, the MP for West Frobisher, has just preemptively resigned as Prime Minister, saying, if I ever become Prime Minister, I'll probably f*** it up, so I'm just getting it out of the way now. And just hearing, uh, this uh, could be a real game-changer, the Queen has just been overheard in Buckingham Palace shouting, f*** this shit, (laughs) while strapping on a suit of armour and getting a big axe out of the family cupboard. (laughs) I mean, if if Brexit is a cliff-edge Brexit and we're going over, let's just get Prince Philip to drive the car. <laughs> <laughs> so he'll guarantee it will happen. It, it is so baffling, uh, this, as a... Well, as a kind of democracy fan, you know, I love democracy, like everyone's perceptions of democracy. I think we've learnt a lot about the, the, the inherent flaws in our democratic system and, the, and we've basically just sort of left it essentially unattended. It's not been nurtured, it's not been modernised and it is now blowing up in our faces. And this attempt to push this deal through again was not so much papering over the cracks as smashing around the cracks with a sledgehammer so you can then point at the original crack and say, not so bad after all, was it? <laughs> Do you, are you not having the moments that I'm having? Like, the other morning I woke up, remembered I was British, felt embarrassed, went back to sleep. <laughs> like, at this point, it's just so humiliating. Like the rest of the world must be looking at us, thinking, "What exactly are they doing?" Yes. Even even America at this point. And that <laughs> that is not something that anyone wants to hear. Um, there's been a lot of talk of betrayal uh, this week. Um, the uh, Daily Mail's front page today said, "11 p.m. tonight was meant to be the moment Britain became a proud sovereign nation once more." And uh, to give that some context, do you know when Britain was last a sovereign nation, Tiff? Um, I would say, like, probably 1996 when I was hanging out with my mates in Weatherspoons. It was in There's fact, a lot of sovereigns then. It was, <laughs> <laughs> it was, in fact, at the start of this sentence. That was when Britain was last. A sovereign, actually, actually, that is now already out of date. We, we are, we, we've always been a sovereign nation, even within the EU. Let's try and make that clear. Uh, unless they mean regaining our sovereignty from unaccountable newspapers with a political agenda, but I'm not sure they necessarily mean that. The Express went with Britain was to have been freed from the shackles of the EU. Those shackles that have held us back so grievously that we are the fifth biggest economy in the world. Up and down exactly zero places since we joined the European Common Market in 1973. But we'll be free. Free from these shackles. Free from the tyrannical imposition of peace, trade, high living standards, improved human rights and predictably shaped fruit and vegetables. Freedom! (laughs) Freedom. 
some extraordinary things have been said by our politicians this week uh, during the uh, various <laughs> various debates. Uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg, <laughs> the man of the people that he is, had a go at uh, Nick Bowles, one of the MPs uh, behind the indicative votes um, move that uh, made the <laughs> made Parliament do what it is emphatically resisted doing for so long, which was to discuss the options in a mature and grown-up way. Uh, and Rees-Mogg accused Bowles, who went to Winchester College, one of Britain's leading and most expensive private schools. Jacob Rees-Mogg went to Eton, one of Britain's leading and most expensive private schools. <laughs> and he said that Bowles had made a Wickhamist, which is the rather old-fashioned term for someone who went to Winchester, a Wickhamist point, highly intelligent but fundamentally wrong. He then accused Old Etonian Oliver Letwin of being more Winchester than Eton. So it is good to see him standing up for the ordinary man in the street. Yes, yes. The ordinary old Herovian. <laughs> In the quad. In the, in the quad. For all the straw boaters out there. <laughs> Someone is... Stand, at least... You know, I, I went to, I went to a, a, a private school and, you know, I'm a, I'm a white, middle-class man. I've basically had all the advantages life can possibly throw at me. But at last, someone is standing up for people like me in Parliament. <laughs> So just to remind people, Theresa May sort of kind of quit as Prime Minister without actually quitting. She said she will quit if the deal gets through. Quite why that would make it, you know, mean that she should get the deal through is not entirely uh, clear. And as uh, Pete Wishart, the uh, SNP MP, has memorably said, she threw herself on her sword and missed. Um, it is it is just, just extraordinary. Uh, people, I saw also... It described as her having made a Faustian pact uh, to get her deal through. But the difference is, Faust has got 24 years of magical powers. <laughs> Not another afternoon of floundering around doing f*** all. Yeah. Maybe it's a bad it's, deal, isn't it? In terms of bad deals. You don't know how many fields of wheat are in those future years. Oh, Maybe yeah. that's part of the deal. Maybe she's going to be frolicking fields of wheat forevermore. So who's it? So who's in the race? They're, they're talking about um, Saji Javid. Yes. Um, well, I mean, Boris seems to be, as you say, one of the front runners. Um, are just doing some investigation into what might be better than Boris Johnson as Prime Minister, uh, and a potato would be better than Boris Johnson as Prime Minister, according to scientists. An old, rotting potato. Not even a sentient potato. No, just a potato. Have more chance of bringing the country together. Amber Rudd. Poor Amber Rudd, always the bridesmaid, never the bridezilla. Um, I don't think she's got much chance. Gove is in the mix. Gove is 100% that dude that promises to uh, look after your girlfriend while you're away on holiday and then tries to slip at the tongue and get slapped. That's Michael Gove. Gove, I mean, famously uh, knifed Boris in the in the back um, whilst Boris was looking at himself in the mirror, I think, I'm not sure. Um, and Michael Gove, just slightly to me, comes across as someone who'd happily shoot off one of his own testicles if he could be guaranteed that bullet would definitely ricochet into someone else's nutsack. Yes. I'm not yeah. sure he's entirely to be trusted with oh, no, the entire he's... future of the country. No, no, he's not He's not a good call. Um, who else is... Oh, Dominic Raab has sort of been floated as a possibility. I mean, it's all awful, isn't it? Yeah. You know, pick which turds bobbing in the ocean <laughs> in the... Municipal swimming pool. Which one of these? Maybe that's uh, you want to fish out. <laughs> a new sport we could invent for our second go at empire. It's all about spreading sports around the world. <laughs> there has been a, a lot of talk, Tiff, about Brexit being stolen from the 17.4 million. A lot of talk about 17.4 million people who voted for Brexit. And um, th this just irritates me on a profound 
level because it instantly essentially says to, for example, the two million people who are now voting age who couldn't vote in Brexit that you are less important than a significant number of dead people, which I don't <laughs> think is a way to conduct democracy. And it's almost like fix this bit of democracy in some kind of quagmire of permanence and, and how- are unable to... Unable to to move on. I don't, I don't see a logical argument against a second referendum from either side. No. Other than the fact that we have proved ourselves constitutionally and psychologically completely unable to deal with referendums. That is the one good argument for not having another one, that well, we just aren't grown up enough for it. In Ireland, they just kept doing it, didn't they, till they got the answer they wanted? <laughs> well, yeah, that's what people say, that this is this is what uh, what happens. But, I, I mean, because... I think there's a good if there's a second referendum. I think there's a good chance of another Brexit vote. But at least that we we we've actively decided I mean, to Thelma and Louise ourselves <laughs> off the cliff. Yeah, yeah. It's we've done it through choice. We haven't been nudged over yes. by a truck. Well, I mean, the key thing with Thelma and Louise is both Thelma and Louise had agreed on it. <laughs> it wasn't Thelma deciding it. And then two, three years later, making Louise go through with it. No, they held hands, didn't they? That's right. And they went for it. They put their foot down <laughs> and, yeah, drove themselves over, leaving Brad Pitt in the dust. I think uh, it's if it's nearly three years, stuff changes, information changes. There sh- of course there should be. Uh, I, I don't like the idea of calling it, I think I've said this before, people's vote or oh, the people's I, march. I don't like that term. Because it, the people voted before. It's not aliens voting this time. Like, just call it the deal vote. Or the informed vote, whatever you want to do. But we can have another referendum. I mean, we're burning more money than if we'd have just decided six months ago to do a a second referendum, surely. Also, back to the 17.4 million, I don't think... I've come to the conclusion that they were wrong. The 16.1 million who voted to remain, of which I was one, also wrong. The people who got it right were the 12 million who didn't vote, who looked at it and said... No. No, there's absolutely no way we can make this decision and why the f*** are you asking us this? They're the ones that got it right. Yes. In fact, I I think there's an argument if we have a second referendum, only people who didn't vote in the first referendum should be allowed to have a go. The people who were too young and the people who were sensible enough to have no f***ing part of it. Well, I did... I I do remember saying... You know, people like me shouldn't be allowed to vote because I can barely rate a film on Netflix. <laughs> it's hard, isn't it, to not have all the information at hand? You've got to do a lot of research. It felt like homework coming up to it. I was like, how does this affect business legislation? How does it affect me personally? How will it affect my family? It's a lot of, you know, it's democracy a, is a lot of work. That's of, why we pay them to do it. It's a lot of guesswork <laughs> on both sides. And, you know, it was a risk. It's clearly a massive risk to leave the EU. It's also a massive risk to stay in the EU. That is what, you know, life and politics is. But this idea that Brexit is being stolen is complete and utter nonsense because everyone is suggesting a second vote. No one is suggesting just cancelling it. Um, And Boris Johnson said, justified his change of mind on Theresa May's deal, which he'd said was completely catastrophic. And that's one other positive. We can just find a way of converting hypocrisy into electricity. The world is so... He said, in the end, the thing I fought for may never happen because unless Mrs May's deal is passed, he said, I genuinely think the House of Commons is going to steal Brexit. Uh, Stealing it by giving people... Another vote. And that's the mistake I always made in my days as a jobbing criminal, was when I was stealing something, I always gave people a vote on the thing I was about to steal. I would say, do you want me to steal your DVD player? They generally say, not really. And I say, OK, I won't then. Would you steal something else yeah. instead? You know, they often made me say, Will you, can you steal our old newspapers and put them in the green bin outside? So, fine. <laughs> Democracy in action. Yeah. And, and also, just the logic of it doesn't make sense to me. Um, 
in which essentially it's a kind of conversation that goes roughly like this. Well, Britain voted for Brexit. Yeah, but what you're being offered now isn't Brexit. So can we vote on the thing that isn't Brexit? No, because... Uh, why not? Oh, because we voted for Brexit. So why aren't you backing it? Because it's not Brexit. So can we vote on the thing that isn't Brexit? No, why not? Because we voted for Brexit. Will you back the f***ing thing? It's not Brexit. Let me f***ing vote. Brexit. Ah, not Brexit. <laughs> that is the conversation that Britain is currently... Having. And it's having. a it's wonder we all haven't had a nervous breakdown. I uh, I uh, did uh, ask the uh, boyfriend to have a look over oh, yes. uh, a few things. Oh, someone to shed some light. So uh, Scottish boyfriend explains a hing. So the thing is, the government is a pure shambles, so it is, and they didn't ken what they're doing, and they didn't give a f*** what we want. Six million folk signed the petition to revoke Article 50, and one million took to the streets in London. And what does May have to say about it? They say more, will of the people, leave means leaves, pish. But we have to keep fighting. And I came what you're thinking. I can't fight. Well, remember this. Run and you'll live at least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance? Just one chance to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives, but they'll never take our freedom! So I think he might have had a bit of a breakdown and uh, just watched Braveheart. Also, can I just say that that, a Scottish accent there is better than anything Mel Gibson did in the entire film. <laughs> uh, well, we now to, uh, need to get some in, information from someone who's been well cl- rather more involved in the whole process, although not, not of late. Uh, it's a great pleasure to welcome uh, to the Bugle for the first time in the Bugle soundproof safe, which we've, uh, we've not used uh, for a while, but it's, uh, we've dug it out of the, uh, of the cupboard. And uh, in the soundproof safe this week, I'm delighted to say, is the former Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, the man who called the referendum, uh, David Cameron. Uh, David, um, thank you taking, uh, for taking some time out from what I, I know must be an extremely uh, empty schedule. So, uh, David, uh, you were the man who launched this political Titanic, who, who also booked the iceberg and who programmed the ship's autopilot to aim directly at that iceberg and who then jumped into a speedboat and f***ed off. Uh, any regrets about... Any of that uh, that process? Well, I mean, I, th- I think that is probably the, uh, an accurate answer, uh, uh, David. This week, also, you finally crawled uh, out of the woodwork—the extremely expensive, rare, endangered, pure ebony woodwork in the form of a luxury treehouse varnished with pure snake oil. Uh, but you, you came out and said one of the, the, the few things you've said in public since uh, the referendum. You said there are four groups in Parliament: people who want the PM's deal, people who want no deal, people who want a second referendum, and people who want a softer Brexit. Um, and uh, you said that the government needs to work together and compromise to get a deal. Do you think your intervention in any way helped? That is the correct answer. And uh, what do you think would be the best thing for you personally to say to this country now? Again, I think you might have a point. Uh, It it seems to me, uh, David, uh, that, well, essentially in 2016, um, Britain was left naked alone in an empty room Uh, with nothing but a single electrical socket. And eventually, at some point, uh, we were going to put our penis in that socket. Um, (laughs) But my question to you, David, is why has it taken three years before Parliament has tried even to start negotiating about how we're going to bandage that electrocuted penis? Well, again, your your silence is is most illuminating. Uh, David Cameron, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Oh, shit, the door was open all the time.
Well, that concludes uh, our talk on Brexit uh, for, for this week. Sorry, I was rather dominated the show, but I think that is understandable this week, uh, as it has been for most of the last uh, few weeks. Um, we'll move on now to space news. Uh, Tiff, you are the uh, Bugles space travel correspondent. Uh, some very exciting <laughs> news in there. I am. I'm a leading correspondent. So this week there was there were plans uh, for the end of Women's History Month to have the first ever uh, all female uh, spacewalk. So, so uh, you're just going to have to clarify that term. Did you mean the end of Women's History Month or the end of women? <laughs> History Month, which I think uh, quite a surprising number of people would still be in favour of. Uh, yeah. um, to celebrate, to commemorate oh, the end so. of Women's History Month, <laughs> we're going to fire two women into space. Uh, to, that for, for the first time ever, two women were going to go on a spacewalk. Um, and then the plans for this have been scuppered because... Um, what happened was we had two female astronauts and one spacesuit, to be fair, which sounds like a terrible porno. Um, <laughs> one awful follow-up to Two Girls, One Cup. So NASA, much like the clothes shop Zara, need to standardise their sizing because they only had one suit that actually fitted a woman. You know what it's like. You want to walk in space, but you just can't find the right outfit. And before you know it, you're in tears in a space dock, having tried on three and swearing off booze for a month just to drop a bit of the weight. Uh, it's a... Um, it's a real shame. And they seem to have just sort of brushed past it and gone, yeah, we're doing other busy stuff, but um, this big historic moment that we were hoping for, not going to happen. Anyway, two men will go on a walk because that's not a problem. Because yeah, women, boobs and periods, and what if they sink on the walk, etc. <laughs> just uh, Yes, slightly curious that they didn't plan that far enough ahead. To... They said there's only one size medium. Like, it was literally, <laughs> there's only one size medium spacesuit. Uh, Theresa May has just suggested a compromise uh, in which no one has any spacesuits at all. <laughs> um, uh, in other space news, um, America's going back to the moon. Yes. They've announced suspiciously soon after the uh, publication of the Mueller report um, that they're going back to the moon because, uh, well, I mean, there's a very simple reason why America is going back to the moon, and that is because China is going to the moon and India might be going to the moon. So it's just really the original moon landings all over again, if I may quote Neil Armstrong, one small step for a man, one giant fuck you to the commies. <laughs> um, just the take one, take two, though, yeah, was the one they actually published. There was a great headline from Barons.com which just said Trump wants to go back to the moon and I thought, is that where he's from? Because <laughs> everything makes a hell of a lot more sense now. It does. Maybe also, he... I mean, that if you launch that as a crowdfunding thing, and it would break the internet, wouldn't it? It would. It would beat the the Trump baby blimp. <laughs> well, I I think um, what's happening at the moment is uh, there's three billionaires. So this is so Trump is you know there's 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 push from like the government and everything else, but then we've sort of got these rogue billionaires who want to enter the space race, and whoever wins it will become the first trillionaire which doesn't sound like a real thing. I'm sure Trillionaire was a character from Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> but uh, the first person that will make it into sort of space for for shuttles, for people, like space tourism, basically. So you've got uh, Musk, Branson and Bezos. Branson, uh, just yesterday, in fact, uh, they did uh, Virgin's first intergalactic flight, presumably diverted via Birmingham New Street. <laughs> But it quit. It breached. It breached. Uh, you know, um, is it breached the atmosphere? I think it's called the. Um, it's called the Carmen line, 
which right. is um, which is it's very complicated. I, I'll explain it just for for people that aren't quite sure. Um, so the Kármán line is the line between Earth's gravitational pull and zero gravity. For the less scientifically minded among you, I will put that in terms you'll understand. It's basically the space taint, the, the, the taint, the, the taint, the space taint, space gooch. So right. so for a mere two hundred thousand. Bezos is offering you the chance to escape the sweaty, stinking ball bag of Earth right. into the sweet, sweet bumhole of space. <laughs> In the words of Buzz Aldrin, that's why he didn't get to say. That's why he didn't get to say the first line. In rehearsals, just they didn't want to broadcast it. I'm so sorry, but eleven glorious minutes in the sweet, sweet bumhole of space. So, so that was we... a Neil Diamond song, wasn't it? <laughs> Uh, so that yeah, they're all having a go. Uh, Bezos is called Blue Origin Flights. Um, Bloody hell, Alice! Alice was having a week off this week. Oh, it was going to be spared this kind of stuff. To... <laughs> it was a spared a, a bumhole reference. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, maybe Bezos is hoping infinite space will make his dick look bigger. I can't imagine how that will <laughs> that will work. Um, but it's it's. I mean, it's probably a good idea to just fire all the tr- the trillion billionaires into space, and then that gets rid of them, doesn't it? Well, and also it'd be the reality TV show to end all reality yeah. TV shows, wouldn't it? In other uh, Trump news, quickly before we uh, wrap up uh, for the week, Donald Trump has been celebrating his complete exoneration, as he's described it in the Mueller investigation, by visiting all the people who used to work for him who are now in jail because of the Mueller investigation. <laughs> Still exonerated, completely exonerated. <laughs> Uh, well, we have run out of time in the in the studio. There was uh, much else to discuss on Brexit and uh, uh, well, the rest of the universe, frankly, which does still exist. Apparently, it's quite hard to keep that in mind in yeah. Britain at the moment. There is I, d- I don't believe it does. I think it's just this, right? Just this it repeated. This is Groundhog Brexit from now until the end of time. Happy times. <laughs> um, thank you for listening, uh, Buglers. Don't forget there are more uh, Satirists for Hire Brexit specials at the Soho Theatre in London on the 10th and 11th of April. There's a Bugle live in Brighton on the 12th of April. Tiff, anything to plug? Uh, yes, I've got a few previews of Mother, my new show that I'll be taking to the Edinburgh Fringe. So just follow me on Twitter and uh, I'll be putting those up. But yes, a few around the UK. And do go and see Alice Fraser's uh, superb new show at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival if you are there. Uh, until next week... Well, enjoy whatever Britain vomits onto your news plate. Oh, God, I've had enough. uh, Anyway, long live democracy. Goodbye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.